you're listening to a talk from our Kingdom Finances series. This talk is all about the tithe, but rather than examining whether the tithe is still relevant or required, this talk reflects on how the tithe relates to our holistic relationship with God. For more information, other resources and media, please visit citychurchleads.net. I want you to go to Deuteronomy chapter 8, if you could, please. I'm going to look at some aspects of the tithe, but it's such a big topic, we may not get through everything this morning. We're going to just uh, really go with the Holy Ghost, what we can look at this morning. I think the first thing to say about the tithe is, it really is a heart issue. It's not a law issue, it's a heart issue. And um, I really want, right from the outset, for us to understand that that's the case. So Deuteronomy chapter 8, if you turn there with me, and what I'd like you to do, please, is, I don't know if you've got paper and pens, but even if you haven't, just maybe in your thoughts, um, I just want to ask you a question. And the question is, do you have something on your heart to do for God in your lifetime? Do you have something to do for God in your lifetime? Is there a vision? Is there a dream? Is there something that you would like to do for him? Okay, so maybe just ponder over that for a moment. Some of you are full of light and expression at this moment. Some of you have got faces that look like, what sort of question is that? But I'd really ask you to think about it, because I believe each one of you, God will have been speaking to about something that he wants you to do in this life for him. And... I just want one or two people who are brave enough just to maybe shout out something you'd like to do, you know? We're a family together, so we want to honor you and pray for you and support you in that. But is there somebody who's brave enough to say, this is what I'd like to give my life for? This is, And let me just say, before we do this, I know we're all spiritual, but I don't want airy-fairy answers, okay? I want real sort of, I want to, I want to say, say for some, one of you, it's to start a children's home. Maybe for one of you, it's to... Uh, go to the nations or, or go to Wakefield or whatever, whatever it would be to do for God, okay? Something you want to put on the ground. Maybe it's a Bible school. Maybe it's a mission center. Maybe it's a life skill center. So something real concrete that you, you think, oh, I'd like to do that. Anybody just shout some things out? Establish the work of Global Family Network in Solwezi, Zambia, and beyond to the extent that we have worked ourselves out of the job that the local people will be self-sufficient, in other words. Okay. Any other, any other people who are brave enough to shout something out? Let me come up. Oh. I want to be effective in evangelism, especially the work I do in the city, the street girls and so on. Street girls in, in the city of Leeds. Okay. So we've got two examples there. I'm sure there's many more examples in the room. But... One thing above many resources that you require to fulfill those examples given is money. And in fact, if I went around the room, most of the things that you would shout out would require money. In fact, the Bible says in Ecclesiastes chapter 10 verse 19 that money answers all things. Now, money is not our God. Money is neither the root of all evil. It's the love of money. 
And I, sometimes I think as Christians we kind of shy away from this topic. And even my initial reaction when Mark said, I'd love you to come to Leeds. I went, praise God. He said, I'd love you to share on tithe. I went, oh, praise God. And, and there's, there's an initial reaction that you get. But I think this is an amazing topic. It really is an amazing topic. You know, sometimes in the last 10 years, particularly in, in, in ministry, I come across Christians who are predominantly some of the middle class and have a desire to share the fact that poverty is a virtue. That somehow poverty is something that is a good thing or something that is to be valued in a Christian ideology. But the Bible says this in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 15, that poverty is the destruction of the poor. Poverty is the destruction of the poor. Poverty is not something to think of as a good thing or as a virtue to take a vow of poverty. In fact, if you and I were to take a vow of poverty, which is in some kind of Christian ideology, how useless would we be to help our neighbor? We have nothing to give away. And, you know, I believe that this poverty mentality, God requires us as a church to have nothing to do with it. And in Deuteronomy 20, Deuteronomy verse, uh, chapter 8, it talks about, in verse 18, it says this, And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you power to get wealth, that He may establish His covenant, which He swore to your fathers, as it is to this day. That we remember the Lord, for He gave us the power. He didn't give us wealth didn't pour down gold and silver. He gave us the dunamis, the power, to get wealth. Just as He gave you the power to be healed and the power to get saved, He gave you the power to get wealth. Why? Not for our own stuff, but to establish His covenant. But when you read that chapter, for example, if you go from verse 11... It's all really about the heart. So let's read it from verse 11. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God, not keeping His commands, His judgments and His statutes, which I command you today. Let me just say something about the word keeping there. This is not the idea of you dotting every I and crossing every T of the commandments. The word keep there is to ponder in your heart. To, to, to love on, to cherish, to hold to. That it's a heart issue when we look at the commandments of God, not a tally chart of keeping them. Do you understand? So there's a keeping of the commands. Then in verse 12, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and your gold are multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, Then when your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, then you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand has gained me this wealth. Then verse 18 kicks in, remember the Lord. You know, it's the idea that so often things that happen to us that seem naturally supernatural, we can end up thinking it's because of our good record We can end up thinking it's because of our hard work. But you know what? No matter how hard we work and what good record you may have, not say I've got, you may have, those things are completely irrelevant in the sight of God. What's relevant in the sight of God is are you cleansed and covered by the blood of Jesus? 
And what's relevant in the sight of God is that in terms of keeping His commands, in terms of focusing and remembering Him, He's saying, look, I'm the one who's the giver. Remember where these things came from. You know, sometimes, I don't know if, if you've done this, but sometimes you dream of what you would do if you had this amount of money. Maybe that's just me. Maybe I'm a bit less spiritual than you are. But you may, you may dream, of, what would I do if I had this amount of money? <clears throat> but the thing is, God wants you to realize that you have everything you need to do what God has called you to do. You have everything you need. And I believe it's time that we saw on the inside that we are wealthy. Yeah, oh, yes, brother, spiritual wealth. No, I'm talking about physical wealth as well. That God wants us to be wealthy in every way. Why? To establish His covenant. To establish His covenant. Not to establish ourselves, but to establish His covenant. You know, the supernatural, natural... You know, you, you may have testimony in your life and things that happen to you that, you know, wow, this is amazing. I've had a pay rise or, you know, I've been, I've been left some inheritance or, you know, I've I got a parking space at Asda. All these things are examples of just the favor of God. And sometimes we think, oh, it's because of us or, you know, because we did a good deed. Or be, but no, it's all because of His favor. And God is asking us to remember these things, and to not say in our heart, because sometimes, you know, we, we, even, we, we even speak out of our mouths, oh, praise God, thank you, God, that you came through for me, but if I hadn't, and then in our heart, we think, if I haven't worked so hard, it would never happen anyway. You know, this idea of saying in your heart, this is so important, because God knows our heart, doesn't he? So what do we say in our heart? Do we say that God is our source? Do we say that God is the one that provides? Or are we constantly trying to find a way ourselves to get by? He gives us the power. It's a free gift that we can apply and use, just as He's given us so many other things. And it's to establish His covenant. You know what covenant He's talking about there? Well, let's read verse 18 again. It says, The covenant He swore to your fathers as it is to this day. It's the covenant sworn to Father Abraham. It's a covenant that wasn't made by law, but by grace. Amen? And he wants to, God wants to establish that covenant. God's intention was never to establish Sinai. Sinai, the covenant of Sinai, the, the Ten Commandments that many people put on their wall and all sorts of stuff like that, that covenant was simply there to point out the fact that you and I needed a Savior. Amen? In fact, when, when Moses reads it back to the people, I believe, this is conjecture, but I believe there was still a hope that the people would humble themselves and say, we can't keep this. We need you, God. But what did they say if you read the book of Exodus? All you have said, we can do. My God, that's a strong statement, isn't it? All you have said, we can do. And you know, when Jesus comes along in the New Testament and he speaks around the Sermon on the Mount, and he says, look, it's not about don't commit adultery and don't murder, but if in your heart you are thinking about committing adultery, in your heart there's, there's hate for your brother, you've already sinned. He says, well, and and, and the, pe the people were like, wow, well, this, is, this is even harder. 
And I've heard people talk, it's harder under grace. It's not harder under grace. Jesus was pointing out the full extent of the purity of the law. And without a Savior, it's impossible. It's impossible. We're not here to keep the law. We're here, here to live above the law by the Spirit. And by living by the Spirit will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Amen? Let me stick on point. Forgive me. Okay. <clears throat> so to remember is to... Mark was saying this this morning to me. You know, when, when they remembered things in the Old Testament, they acted out something as part of their remembrance. Literally in Hebrew, it's to mark an occasion and to speak about that occasion. It's a powerful thing to remember. It's not, oh, I better not forget, I just remember. No, it's more, it's more marked than that. It's to mark an occasion. It literally is to be mindful. It's the same idea from Psalm 8 where God says, I am ever mind, why, why is God ever mindful of you? In his mind, you are there. I think that's an amazing thing, that God is ever mindful of you and me. And he's asking us to be ever mindful of his covenant. Not his covenant of law, but his covenant of grace. He's asking us to be ever mindful of the finished work of Jesus, ever mindful of what he's accomplished on the cross. Amen? So the tithe, what is it? Well, we know it's a tenth. I know under the law there was all sorts of different tithes, but basically from Genesis 14 when it's first mentioned, it's a tenth, isn't it? And it's a percentage of our increase that belongs to God. Literally, in the Hebrew language, in the old pictograph language, the, 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 the tithe is, is represented by four Hebrew letters. And um, we, we transliterate it in, in English, Masar, M-A-S-A-R. And it's interesting that the word for rich in trans, transliterated is A-S-A-R. So literally, the word rich is in the tithe, which is kind of interesting. <clears throat> You know, but riches are, are way beyond pounds and pence. You can have a very rich person that's very poor and stingy in attitude and outlook. Amen? So Bible prosperity is much bigger than wealth. And why can we say we are rich? Because Why am I talking about riches? Because if we look at our bank balance and see if we can afford to tithe or not, that can be a real temptation not to do it. Let's just be honest. Some of us, maybe, maybe some of you are okay. But in the hard times, some of us, especially when you know, you're bombarded from the media of how the economy is not doing well or it's recovering, then it's not recovering, it's recovering, then it's not recovering. Praise God we don't live under that economy, amen? I'm so glad because there's no, there's no faith in it. It's just fear-based, isn't it? Yes. Yes. Just total fear-based. Why am I talking about riches? Because I believe that the people of God, we need to see ourselves rich on the inside. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, there's a beautiful verse. You can follow it with me if you want. It says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that through his poverty he might become rich. We might become rich. Jesus did not become poor when he came to earth. In fact, he didn't live a day without his needs being met and all the people who followed him, their needs being met. For example, look at the feeding of the 5,000. A man who's poor does not have a treasurer. Judas was his treasurer. And there was so much money in the bag that the disciples didn't know that Judas was taking the money. Jesus did, but they didn't. It talks a number of times 
in the, uh, just some of the things that Jesus wore, like a seamless robe that he wore that the Roman centurions and soldiers cast lots over at his crucifixion because it was a good garment. They wanted to wear it. If it was a drabby old rag, they wouldn't be gambling for it at crucifixion. Can I just say to you, Jesus was not poor. But he became poor on the cross. He became poor on the cross so that through his poverty, we might become rich. Well, Jeff, that's talking about spiritual riches. It's, it's talking figuratively. You study that word rich, it means rich in every way. It literally means rich figuratively and literally. Not getting many amens, but, but I, re- I really believe that we need to hear this. Well, it's just this American prosperity. No, it isn't. I'm just reading the Bible to you. I'm just reading the Bible, guys. Amen? It says, through his poverty, we become rich. And why we become rich? That God is believing and trusting us to be his ambassadors. He's believing and trusting us to reconcile the world to himself. That's an amazing, amazing ministry. What a commission we have. And which ambassador does not need the wealth of his country to represent him to represent his country where he is. An ambassador, the ambassador of Britain to the United States, doesn't worry about the President of the United States coming round to the consulate for a meal. Oh, Ivy, get the beans on. No, there's a good meal for the President when he comes. Everything is ready so that that ambassador for Britain can represent the nation well. Amen? And I really believe that it's time to see ourselves rich. Not so we see ourselves rich, so, you know, when you look at the way the world puts riches, you know, the speedboats and the, you know, and all those beautiful things. You could go to Monte Carlo and, and do a lot of gambling and all that sort of stuff. But what would we do? Start to dream of how you would extend the kingdom of God. Amen? Okay. I believe that God wants us, through this action of tithe, to remove from the church a poverty spirit, a poverty mentality. And we all know what that looks like. I'll give you an example. There's one member in my family, a close member of our family, I won't give their name. And um, you know when when you go out for a meal with somebody, and and, um, I don't know what it's like with with you guys, but you know, sometimes you think, I'd just love to bless these people, I'd love to to buy, uh, buy buy the meal. Well, you know, for this particular person, when the wallet opens, it's like it's creaking, you know? <clears throat> and, and you can see pained expression on the face. I've got to. You know, I've got to pay. Oh, I don't know how I'm going to go on. And there's lots of comments about how difficult it would be to pay. You know, that itself is a poverty mentality. You know, our God is a generous God. You know, Jesus says this, freely you've received, no strings attached. Freely you have received. You know, Jesus would have given himself up and died and shed his own blood for you even if you never responded to him. Freely, without strings attached, he's given himself. That is a real gifting. Sometimes because we don't realize we're sons of God and rich on the inside, we can give in a bribe form. I'm giving this but really I'm expecting something back, either out of relationship or so forth. Can I say this to any dating couples in here, particularly for for the women in the relationship? Don't accept gifts early in the relationship. 
I'll tell you why. Because this, there can be a, a subconscious, you owe me. Until you are friends, until you are close, then you can just do that. That would be my advice, but Mark may think differently on that as you're... Because I've just seen a whole load of stuff. Well, I gave her this, and she, she, she gave me this, and I, well, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. It's about love, not about bribe. Amen? And God gives without... He gives liberally without a thought of getting back. We've heard so often about God investing Himself for a return. Amen. But you know, when you see that parable of the sower, and it says God is like this, He doesn't sow in a particular field, in a particular way, in just good soil. He just liberally throws seed everywhere, on the path, on the road, everywhere, in the thorns. Why? Because He knows that He's just a giver. Amen. That's the way the kingdom of God is. And aren't you glad? Sometimes I feel like one of those little seeds that fell by the thorn, you know, fell by the thorn bush. And thank God He threw it there. Amen. I wasn't in the good soil, but now I'm with Him. Praise God. <laughs> He's a generous and liberal God in the right sense of that word. Amen. You know, people say, "Well, I can't do that, Jeff, because money doesn't grow on trees." Money doesn't grow on trees. I remember my grandparents saying that to me a lot. Money doesn't grow on, tr- grow on trees, Jeff. I've only spent 20p on football stickers. <laughs> Money doesn't grow on trees. <clears throat> but you know what? Wealth comes through the tree of the cross. It does. It comes through the tree of the cross. And um, <clears throat> I want us to know that God desires for us to be blessed even in the realm of finances. Amen. You know, even the world catch on to some ideas that are biblical ideas. There's a guy called George Classen, who was a financier before the Great Depression. And he used a lot of wisdom from the ancient Babylonian time and put together lots of pamphlets that became a book called The Richest Man in Babylon. Has anybody heard of that book? Basically, in that book, this is the main message of this book. Listen to this. By giving away the first 10% of your income, your subconscious becomes more convinced that you'll be rich, not poor. By giving away the first 10% of your income, your subconscious becomes more convinced that you'll be rich, not poor. And he got this from ancient Babylonian wisdom. You know when I read that, I felt the Holy Spirit say, who was in Babylon? Daniel. Oh, there you go. He was quite wise, wasn't he? I bet Daniel tithed as well. So it's not from Babylon, it's from the Lord. Amen? But it's just interesting that these ideas are adopted. And we look maybe for self-help books from the world, but we have the wisdom of God, we have the heart of God, the love of God, the grace of God, and God wants us to be a blessing. Amen? Amen? So sometimes we hear the question, do I have to tithe? And the answer is no. But I ask another question, do I have to kiss my wife? And if I'm asking that question, I'm not in love with her. If tithing is a love issue, that question is really a non-starter. See, many people suggest that tithing is, is a practice under the law, and there's a big revival of grace theology across the world at the moment. And you know, there's a lot of websites on the internet as well about you know, tithing is under the law, we don't tithe, and... And it's all about grace and so forth. And usually at the end of these websites, I've seen a number of websites, please give to this website, they're going to close down. But um, 
My point is that, that, that tithing is not a law issue. It started with Abram under grace. It's always been in the heart of God. Amen? Amen. In Genesis 14.20, if you're taking notes, Abram tithed. It was passed down the generations, and when Jacob encountered God in Bethel, the place that was going to be called Bethel, when the, he saw that beautiful image, that dream he had of the ladder of heaven, angels descending and descending, can I suggest to you what he saw was the Christ? Because Christ is the gateway to heaven. Christ is the only way to the Father. So he encountered Christ in Bethel. And what was his first reaction? To do the charismatic two-step? No. His first reaction was to tithe. His first reaction was to tithe. Even Jesus in Matthew 23 refers to the tithe when he's uh, confronting the Pharisees. And he says in verse 23, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe even on your mint, your cumin and your anise, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you have ought, should ought to have done without leaving the others undone. So Jesus was saying, look, you may think you're great because you tithe, but really the heart is the issue. If you tithe but you're not merciful, you're not generous, you're not full of justice, you're not representing my heart. But hey, don't stop tithing in order to do that. Do both. That's what he's saying. And in the New Testament, you know, a lot of people say, well, it's not mentioned in the New Testament tithing. It's mentioned in two other places, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 13 to 14, and in Hebrews chapter 7, the tithe is mentioned. And we're going to look at that in a little bit. Let me just throw out a myth about tithing to just really come against it, I suppose. We don't tithe out of fear to be free from a curse. Let me just say that again. We don't tithe out of fear to be free from the curse. So often I've heard in the past at times the teaching on tithing from Malachi particularly about robbing God in tithes and offerings. And if you rob God, you're under a curse. <clears throat> you know, the curse that Malachi is talking about is the curse of the law. The Bible says in Galatians 3 that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Because cursed is anyone who's hung on a tree, so that the blessing of Abraham may come upon you and I through faith by the Spirit. So the curse of the law no longer applies. Whether you tithe or you don't tithe, you are not under the curse of the law. Can you have an amen? That's good news, isn't it? That's great news. God is not starting a racketeering business. Tithe is not protection money. Amen? If you give me 10%, I'll make sure you're all right. No. That's not what God is doing. The reason God wants us to tithe, the reason why God wants us to be involved in this process is because He's involved in the same process. He gave His best to you and me and continues to give His best to you and me. And that's what tithing's all about. From a heart, giving your best. Saying you're first. Isn't it amazing that God puts us first before Himself? This is the God who created the whole universe, and He's so mindful of you and me, He puts us first. That is awesome. Well, Jeff, that's a man-centered gospel. Well, I'm sorry, but God does care about you and me. 
You know what that makes me do? It doesn't make me want to be more selfish. When I realize how much he loves me and how much he wants to fill me with his love, what happens is the overflow of that means that I'm generous to others and love others rather than try and work it up. Amen? Amen. But the amazing thing is, and John quoted this earlier, all the promises of God are yes, and we speak the amen to the glory or the manifestation of the promise. So all those promises in Malachi... That if we tithe, God will open the floodgates of heaven, rebuke the devourer. All those promises are still in effect for us. Because all the promises, isn't that amazing? So we don't get the curse part because of the blood of Jesus, hallelujah. But then if we tithe, we still have those promises. Isn't that amazing? I'm so glad that Jesus died for you and me, amen? Awesome. See, we don't tithe and give in order to be blessed. We are blessed already. We tithe and give because blessed people love to bless. Let's go to Genesis chapter 14. Can you stay with me for a few more minutes? This is the first real mention of, of tithe here. Genesis chapter 14, verse 18. We've done this already this morning, this beautiful breaking of bread. Melchizedek, king of Salem, which means king of peace, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God most high. You know, sometimes when you see king of in the scripture, think of it in terms of, you know, somebody being an authority on something, somebody being an expert in something, not just their royal position. You know, a lot of the kingdoms that were established, particularly at this time, were done because this guy was better than everybody else. (laughs) So the idea is that this guy was the expert in Salem, expert in peace. What a great title. This, if you want peace, go to this guy. So here's Melchizedek. And it says he was the priest of God. He brought out bread and wine. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hands. When he brought this bread and wine, it was a symbol of victory over every enemy. That's what it was in that culture. This bread and wine came out, and it was, we're going we're gonna to eat together and celebrate the victory of God over darkness, over the enemy. Isn't that amazing? Every time we break bread, it's a remembrance of the death of Jesus. But what happened in the death of Jesus? Every principality and power was disarmed. Every sin was completely taken out of effect. The handwriting of the law that was written against us was nailed to the tree. That's amazing, isn't it? When we break bread together and take the wine together. And it says, Abram, verse 20, gave a tithe of all. Now the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the persons and take the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord, God most high, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will take nothing from a thread to a sandal strap, and that I will not take anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. So there was an expectation in Abram that encountering the king of peace... There's going to be a wealth in his heart and his life that's established. Now, Abram was already rich. If you go to Genesis chapter 13, verse 1, it says, in verse 2, it says, Abram was very rich. 
Now, I don't know about you, when I read the Bible, the Bible is not given to exaggeration. Let me give you an example. When Jesus had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, it says he was hungry. He didn't even say he was very hungry. Okay, so it's not given to exaggeration. So when the Bible says that he was very rich, he was very rich. So he wasn't coming from that position of knowing he was already rich, he tithed. He didn't tithe to get a quick rich, he tithed because he was in relationship with God. He tithed because he was tithing to somebody greater than himself. It was a love action, not a get action. Amen? Just an aside, why was Abram so rich? <clears throat> well, in chapter 12, there was this really weird situation where Pharaoh wanted Sarah, his wife, which is kind of cool that at such an established age, she was so beautiful that the king of Egypt wanted her as his wife. And anyway, Abram lied and so forth. We know the story. But it says, <clears throat> before the Pharaoh, Pharaoh let them go, it says that he blessed Abram on account of Sarah. I think it's chapter 12. I'll just get the verse for you. Chapter 12, verse 16. It says, He treated Abram well for her sake. So the favor of God on Abram, even when he wasn't doing exactly what he should have been doing, if you read the, the story, the favors were still constant. And what happened was that this man treated Abram well because of Sarah. And as I was reading this, God said to me, what does Sarah represent? Well, in Galatians, if you do a study on in Galatians chapter 4, Paul himself says that Hagar and Sarah, even though they're literal, are also pictorial. Hagar is a picture of the covenant of Sinai, and Sarah is a picture of the covenant of grace and freedom. So Pharaoh, the world, gave to Abram because of grace and favor on Abram's life and Sarah's life. You've heard of the phrase, plunder the Egyptians, which is exactly what happened when the people of God left Egypt. Because of the favor on them, gold and silver was given to them. People even, I've heard it mentioned preaching about the wealth of the riches is laid up for the just. Well, I don't believe that. Well, I do, actually. I do. Well, the church doesn't know what to do with riches. Can I just say to you, I don't think bankers do either. And politicians certainly don't need to know what to do with it. I think the church may have a better idea if we just have his heart, the Lord's heart, amen? So I believe that stuff. Forgive me if you don't. So here's this beautiful encounter, and just at this moment of encounter with a representative of heaven, a representative of this world system comes, the king of Sodom. And he says, look, do a deal with me and I'll make sure that you're looked after. And this spirit of the age that comes into the church and, and can really tempt us is, look, really, it's better to get into massive debt. It's better, you, you, you're better to do this and do that and do the other. And we've all walked down those paths. And what I believe God is saying to us is it's time to trust me on a totally new level. And part of us tithing is saying, God, before anything else, I trust you as my source. I trust you because you have already made me rich because of Christ. Amen? Isn't that good? Let's go to one more scripture. Hebrews chapter 7. We pick up the story of Melchizedek. 
The Hebrew writer talks about him. In fact, he talks about him through chapter 5 and 6 as well. And we understand that Jesus is the high priest in the order of Melchizedek, don't we? We understand that concept from the Scripture. It's a beautiful book to read. In fact, Hebrews is a book that Charles Darwin described as the royal book just before he died. He loved to read it, apparently. Verse 1, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abram, returning from the slaughter of the kings, and blessed him, to whom also Abram gave a tenth part of all, first being translated king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace. Verse 3, Without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning or day of days or end of life, but may, like the Son of God, remains a priest forever. Now verse 4, Now consider... How great this man was, to whom even the patriarch Abram gave a tenth of the spoils. And indeed, those who are the sons of Levi, who receive the priesthood, have a commandment to receive tithes. So it's equating this tithing by the Melchizedek priesthood with tithing by the Levite priesthood. And it goes on, it says in verse 8, Here, mortal men receive tithes, but there he receives them. Who's he? Well, the context of Hebrews 5, 6, and 7 is talking about Jesus being the high priest in the order of Melchizedek. When we tithe, we tithe to somebody greater than ourselves, and the person that's greater than ourselves is the Lord Jesus Christ, the high priest in the order of Melchizedek, and we tithe to him. And even though mortal men receive the tithe here, from God's perspective, and because we are seated with him in the heavenly realms, and we are the church of heaven as well as the church on the earth, he receives our tithe. It says it right there. Jesus receives the tithe. There he receives the tithe. Are you with me? There he receives the tithe. And it's interesting that he doesn't receive the tithe as a bloody broken Jesus on the cross. But he receives the tithe as the Son of God resurrected from the dead. With all power in his hand, the revelation describes him with eyes like fire, a voice like the sound of rushing waters, just this immensely beautiful picture of Jesus, the conquering king, the Lord of all. And we have the privilege to take 10% of what we make because he gives us the breath to breathe, we have the privilege to give that to him so that everything he has can just flow to us. And literally, when we tithe, remember from Deuteronomy 8, we remember the Lord our God. I was in a, I'll close with this, I was in a meeting, a leaders meeting a few years ago at the church with us and we invited some guys in because there was some ruckus on tithe at the time. And some people were saying, well, we don't need a tithe because of grace. And so I said, okay, well, just come along and just share, share your heart on it. So they did. The Holy Spirit just dropped in my mind this phrase. He said, you know, son, tithing is as important as breaking bread. What? Tithing is as important as breaking bread. 
So I thought, okay. And I, I, you know what? Sometimes when you get something with God, you just say it. And I, I said that I wish I hadn't. Because I said it and go, what? Heresy. But you know, over the time, God has really shown me in my own walk that this is the case. Why is it the case? Because the bread and the wine remember the victory of Jesus on the cross. And you know what? When we present our tithe to Jesus, we remember his resurrection. Not just the cross, but we remember his resurrection. We remember his resurrection, and we remember the fact that the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is in us. We remember that we are priests in the order of Melchizedek, and we are here to distribute indestructible life just as our high priest is. And I believe that if we focus back as a church on the bread and the wine and the tithes, essential parts of the grace of God to us, we will find a breakout of every manifestation possible of the finished work of Jesus and every manifestation possible of resurrection. I just want to finish with that. Father, thank you for this wonderful group of people. And Father, I ask, Lord, that they would be stirred in their hearts to mark and mention that as they tithe, that it would be a worship experience, that it would be a sense of saying, God, I recognize you as my source, I recognize you as my high priest, I recognize you as my supply, I recognize you as my sponsor, you've given me things to do and I'm not going to worry about how they're going to be done because you've given me those things to do and if you've given me those things to do, you're going to provide the resource for it and if I worry, it's just going to be delayed, if I try and do it my own way, it's just going to be delayed, so I rest in the grace that you've given me and I give this as a representation of you for everything comes from you in the first place and I tithe the tithe it would be good to do that before we go huh? do you want to lead us in that okay well if you've got your tithe with you even if you haven't you know some people tithe by direct debit and all sorts of stuff these days but I would say you know even at home just spend a little bit of time every month if you tithe monthly or weekly or whatever. This is really important. You know, sometimes we categorize spiritual things as, you know, goosebumps and angels river dancing on the duvet, and all those things are great. And, and they are great. I love them. I absolutely love them. I love goosebumps. I love them. I'm not knocking them at all. But what I'm saying is this, that, 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 that I want you to have a goosebump when you tithe. Not, oh, I'm going to tithe. I want, you to, I want you to know the presence of God in this action. I want you to just know that, that, that tithing the tithe is a precious thing, such a precious thing. So let's do that together. If you've got your tithe this morning, even if you haven't, just raise your hand up. And Father, we, we recognize this morning that you have made us rich because of the blood of Jesus. We recognize this morning that through the cross we are rich in every way. Oh, we may not see it physically right now, but what does that matter? The real truth is that your word is forever settled in heaven, and we will see it on the earth. So, Father, we recognize you're our source, and we tithe this morning with a recognition that we don't have to worry about our next meal where the next money's going to come for, how we're going to pay for that, how we're going to do that, how our vision is going to come to pass. No, you are our source of supply. You are our Lord, and we acknowledge you this morning as such. Thank you for your grace. Amen.